Well, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, in the spirit of Christmas children's programs, uh, some of you might remember and recall the 1971 classic children's book, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever, by Barbara Robinson. It was also made into a television movie in 1983 that was pretty popular, and and it seems that Dallas Jenkins, actually, the, the creator and director of The Chosen, he's going to be remaking it, and it's scheduled to be released sometime next year. If you haven't read the book or, or seen the movie before, it's the story of six misfit children called the Herdman children, the Herdman family, notorious for their rough and sometimes illegal behavior. And they show up at the town church for the first time, and and they go to Sunday school for the first time. They've never been to church. They've never even heard the Christmas story before. But they are instantly captivated by the fact that the, the Sunday school is preparing for their yearly Christmas pageant. Inevitably, the Herdman children intimidate all the other children who normally have the lead roles into giving them the lead roles in the pageant, even though they have no idea what they're supposed to be doing. And it doesn't take long for the Herdmans to suggest some improvements, shall we say. For instance, it seems unthinkable to them that no one would allow a pregnant woman into the inn at Christmas. They also think that the Wiseman gifts are a little weird for their taste, so instead they bring a Christmas ham. They bring Jesus a Christmas ham as a gift. One of the children thinks Mary should get to choose her baby's own name. And another kid even gets caught smoking a cigar in the bathroom. (laughs) So after everything that happens, after everyone who is involved, you think that it would end up a disaster and things would come crashing down. But then the unexpected happens. The Herdman children, having experienced all this for the very first time, began to truly understand how amazing, how profound the events of the Christmas story truly are. They treat the pageant like the real history it is, not simply a play that everyone takes for granted. And so everyone watching the pageant realizes that this was indeed the best Christmas pageant ever. Earlier, we heard our gospel reading, which some of you may have been thinking, and I don't blame you, what's with all the names? Matthew's gospel begins with this genealogy like Pastor Don was talking about. And this isn't simply a boring family record that then has no impact on the rest of the story. What Matthew is doing is setting up the stage for everything that follows in his gospel. In fact, in in the spirit of our own children's Christmas program today, we might even think of this genealogy, we might even hear this genealogy as a sort of a Christmas pageant with Matthew as the director and we as the interested audience. Looking at his genealogy in Matthew 1, we are amazed. It's like Matthew introducing Jesus by way of having a whole host of characters walk across the stage. And and Matthew does it by employing three groups of 14 people each. The first 14 are everyone Abraham to David. The next 14 are everyone David to the exile in Babylon. And the last 14 is the Babylon exile to Jesus. Pretty impressive, right? But should we expect anything less from from Matthew? After all, he was an organized and efficient tax collector. 
If anyone can pull this pageant off, it's going to be Matthew. If we zoom out a little bit more and look at Matthew's gospel that he's setting up more broadly, that we're going to see that he's going to structure his gospel in, in five main teaching blocks of Jesus. The five discourses of Jesus, they're called. Ah, the traditionalists will love it, someone exclaims with joy. This will remind people of the Moses' five-part book of the law we call the Torah, the Pentateuch. Again, we think if anyone can direct a great Christmas pageant, it's going to be Matthew. But then in the next scene, when this genealogy of Jesus has a little more spotlight put on it, then we become not so sure. Like the Herdman children waltzing into Sunday school for the first time, we realize that Matthew has chosen to, to cast some questionable characters in his program. Four people sticking out like a sore thumb. Their names are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and a certain wife of Uriah, who we know to be Bathsheba herself. Tamar went to extreme lengths to, ex to secure a child when her father-in-law Judah ignored her. Rahab, who was the prostitute from Jericho. Ruth, the, the foreigner, the, the Moabite, who found herself a poor widow at the bottom of the social ladder in Israel. And Bathsheba, who was either willingly or unwillingly the partner in one of King David's most shameful sins. How dare Matthew put these women in this genealogy? Why not stick to listing only men like other traditional genealogies do? Or if Matthew does insist on including women, why not invoke the name of the three lovely matriarchs of Israel, Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel? We want to honor Jesus at this pageant after all, not dishonor him. Who picked Matthew to direct this pageant in the first place? After everything that has happened, and after everyone who is involved, you think it would be a disaster, and things would come crashing down. But then the unexpected happens. Someone enters stage right and reads from Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. Well, now the audience has become quiet enough to hear a, a pin drop in the room. And the reader continues, And when the Pharisees saw Jesus reclining at table surrounded by sinful people, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Tamar and Ruth and Rahab and Bathsheba, they demonstrate how God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise and how he chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Their presence in Jesus's family tree foreshadows Jesus's love for other outcasts also found in Matthew's gospel, like the Roman centurion's servant in chapter 8 or the Canaanite woman's daughter in chapter 15. You see, at the heart of this genealogy from Matthew's gospel, is the grand gospel, the grand good news of Jesus, that Jesus loves all people. People like Tamar, who are 
victims as well as perpetrators of family dysfunction and deceit. People like Rahab who may feel low and worthless in this world. People like Ruth who have to bury their loved ones and then leave their homeland. People like Bathsheba who may be used by others and only witness the death of so many dreams. In the end, these four women's lives are amazing testimonies to what Joseph uh, said to his brothers in the land of Egypt. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So it seems that Matthew knew what he was doing after all. And this theme will be highlighted all throughout his gospel. Like when Jesus says, but many who are first will be last and those who are last will be first. And just when this realization starts washing over us, the audience, that Matthew may actually know what he's doing after all, he then takes the opportunity to add a fifth woman to the genealogy. He adds Mary. Mary also knew about this good news that turns everything upside down. In Luke's gospel, she sings, God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And just like with Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba, Mary's part of the story begins with much shame and disgrace and angst. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But Mary's story was vindicated. She would become the mother of Emmanuel, the mother of God with us. You see, the reason to read and to hear and to understand Matthew's genealogy today is that it prepares us, the hearers of God's word, to follow and to hear and to understand the rest of the gospel and to always revel in the multitude of messages that encompass God's grace. Think about it. Jesus chose fishermen instead of Pharisees. He chose sinners Instead of Sadducees, Jesus chose harlots instead of Herodians. And then came the most pivotal moment in history, where Jesus chooses thorns for his crown instead of silver and gold, sweat and blood instead of comfort and light. Jesus chose suffering instead of strength. He chose death instead of life. And he chose all of this for us. But this led to the greatest plot twist of all. That moment when the angel told the women at the tomb, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Jesus is the resurrection and the life who overrides death and makes all things new. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Let's face it, try as we might, a Christmas pageant, just like life, is never perfect, although the kids did very well today. But even though these things, and even though life may not be perfect, that's actually okay, because it can actually be very good. It reminds us, just like Matthew, just like all of Scripture, it reminds us how Jesus was introduced 
in Scripture. He wasn't introduced with glitter and glamour. There were no fireworks or fine pedigrees. Matthew doesn't incorporate the kind of people that we'd consider the the rich and the famous and the presentable. No, Matthew selects four broken and outcast people. Indeed, a whole list, a whole genealogy full of sinful people who in so many ways are just like us. And it leads Matthew to record this stunning promise right after the genealogy finishes. He writes, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Thank God for this Christmas account inspired by the Holy Spirit and penned by a man named Matthew. This is the best Christmas pageant ever. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.